All right. Well, good morning. We're so I have two waters now. I did that. All right. My fault. All right. Uh, sometimes, like in my brain, there's conversations, and I just say them out loud, and I don't need to. So anyway. Nobody cares. I thought it was funny. So anyway, uh, so we're so glad you guys are here today with us uh, on this day and uh, a lot going on this week. So this is Grinchmas week for us, which is a huge thing. Uh, If you guys don't know what Grinchmas is, it's our community offering kind of Christmas thing. Uh, This weekend, there will be thousands of people come through our building. Uh, We sold out 3,000 tickets in like an hour. It's free. Uh, If you don't have tickets for Grinchmas, if you're just not hearing about it, we'll probably release a few more uh, this week. Or if you volunteer, we allow you to come as well. But anyway, that takes place Thursday through Saturday. Uh, But we need help setting up. If you've never been, this entire building gets turned into a winter wonderland, including this room that you're in right now. And so we will be setting up this week, Monday through Wednesday, 10 to 2 every day, which we always allow you can't do that, and also from 5 to 9 every day. So if you want to come and help, uh, that would be grateful. Uh, You will be inundated in Christmas and have glitter all over you by the time that it's done. So that is taken on this week. And then Saturday night, the event ends at 7.30. And anybody that's willing to come and help us, we have to turn this whole thing back into what we do on Sunday morning in a matter of hours. So if you're willing to help and volunteer on Saturday at 7.30 as well. The other thing is, uh, this is the boring stuff, but uh, Church Community Builder. So we are switching over our softwares. It's weird to think of us because we're a church, but we're also a business since we have to organize everything. We are switching over our software. And so especially if you volunteer or you have kids that you check into any of our kids' programs, uh, you need to update your account. You should have got emails about it. Kara will be out in the lobby and help walk you through that. It's super simple. just takes a few minutes. uh, Not even a few minutes. just probably about a minute or so. Uh, We need to make sure everybody does that because the old system will end on December 12th, which means that if you go to check in your kid and you haven't updated your program, it's a whole thing that we'll have to deal with on the 12th. So make sure and take time. We would love for everybody to set up an account, even if you don't volunteer or have kids because it's the best way to get information. We're basically just making streamlined everything that we are doing. If you work in a business place and you have operating systems, you know what it's like, and so we have one as well. So make sure you do that. If you're new, we're so glad you're here. Stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. You have a free gift. If you're watching online, we're so glad you guys are tuning in, and we are starting a new series. I don't know if Nathan called me a Grinch this service when they did the Christmas song, did he? I'm not a Grinch. I just believe Christmas music should be played the week of Christmas, and that's it. I know it's not a popular opinion. Um, Let's be honest. A lot of those songs... There's a reason you only listen to them one time a year. They're not that great. And so uh, I know that that's not a popular opinion, but you can be wrong. All right, so uh, we are starting a new series today. We're taking us through the holiday season. Uh, and so we will be talking about Christmas eventually. Uh, but today we are doing also, I didn't, I didn't tell for our service. On the week of the 19th, we will have regular Sunday services. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll have a service on Thursday night, the 23rd. And then we will have two services actually on Christmas Eve at 7, and I think the second one is at 9 o'clock. But we are going to offer that as well. There will be no services on Sunday the 26th. We get our staff off, our volunteers off. That's time for you to spend with your family. We're making an online video that you can watch with your family and participate in, but there will actually be no services on the 26th. That's really important. I should have told first service. But anyway, uh, because they're going to show up and nobody's going to be here. So, um, So that's all coming up, and we'll remind you all that. So new series today. We are going to walk through the entire Bible in about four weeks, starting in the beginning, and we're going to eventually get to Jesus as well. But uh, it is an ancient story. Uh, It's the story of us and our world, but it's also the story of God interacting with us. And we are going to attempt in four or five weeks to kind of walk 
through it. Um, and so we're going to start today. And to start, we ask a question that I will not answer in full until week five. And so we're in for the long haul. This question we ask today will not be answered for a few weeks and it's full. And so here's the question. Ready? And it's a bit rhetorical. First service felt like they needed to answer. And you can answer as well. But it is a rhetorical question. Do you ever get the feeling this world isn't the way it's supposed to be? And the answer is yes. Uh, if you've been paying any attention, it's kind of a dumb question too, isn't it? Like that clearly when we turn on the news, when we read the paper, when we get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you guys get on, um, you can tell that things don't seem to be going right, especially if there was an idea behind the thing. But I don't just mean in our heads. I think some of us in our head knowledge, we will go, okay, yeah, it doesn't feel like everything's the way it's supposed to be. But what I'm really talking about is that deep tension within us, that tension of wrestling that this world isn't the way it's supposed to be, and something has gone terribly wrong. Something got this off the rails. And I think the reason I think like that is we see the world that we live in, and we see there's a lot of violence and a lot of death and a lot of pain. We see a lot of injustice in this world. Many of us, it's not about the pain and injustice out there. It's actually the pain and injustice that we've personally experienced. And then you throw in the fact that there's disease in this world and cancer in this world and all of these horrible things that seem to be working against us. And so that's one side of it. And we look at all of that and we say, well, obviously there's something wrong. But what's interesting, at the same time, in the exact same world that we live in, there's also a world filled with beauty and wonder, and creativity, and a lot of good. And so how do we live in that tension? How do we live in that world where these same things exist side by side, and often within the same window, right? There are people in this room right now that are going through amazing seasons of their life right now. Like everything just seems to be working. It's Christmas. Everything is magical. And there's other people that this season is one of the worst seasons they've ever experienced. And then the other part of that is if all that's going on kind of at the same time, and we live in that world where there's both of these things happening, the other part of this question is, what part do we play in that? For example, what part do our choices and our decisions work within this tension that we find ourselves in? And it's not a new tension, it's an ancient tension, as we're going to find out as we kind of uncover this story. The other thing is that so often we look at the world, and we look at all of the problems in the world, and our first response is it's easy to blame. It's always easy to blame someone else. It's always someone else's fault. It's their, and them, and their party, or their ideologies, or those type of people, and the way that they think, and it's always somebody else's fault. And then what happens for a lot of us is we get to the point where we say, okay, if God created everything and God's in charge and we live in this completely messed up world, then maybe at the end of the day, really, it's actually God's fault that this is the way that it is. This is not a new tension. This is not a new way of looking things. In fact, it's very ancient. The first book in the Bible is the book of Genesis. It's actually the book of origins. Now, you may not know this, but Genesis isn't actually the first book that was written in the Bible. It's just the first one in the Bible that we see. It's not the oldest of the books, okay? But in this book, Genesis, it's a story of how we came to find ourselves in the world at what we call our home. Now, in the beginning, the author tries to kind of explain in a few short chapters kind of the beginning of mankind, 
He says this, in Genesis begins by saying that God created the heavens and the earth. And after that, he created the heavens and the earth. He created everything on the earth. And then eventually he creates human beings. Adam and Eve is what they're referred to in the text. And then he places these human beings in this garden called Eden. Now, Eden represents the world as it's supposed to be. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Everything is the way it is. There's perfect harmony and balance in Eden. But God doesn't just leave it there. One of the most fascinating things about the story is when God gets the world the way that it's supposed to be, he actually invites Adam and Eve into the work of the creation of the world. They they partner with him in the caring of this world and keeping the peace in this world. And so he places mankind in this world, and there's this harmony and there's this peace between human beings and the world and God. The other detail we're given is the fact that there's two trees that are placed in the middle of the garden. One of those is called the tree of life, and the other one is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we'll get back to those trees here in a second. But what's fascinating when you read the story in its whole, not pieces of it, but you read the story in its whole, what you kind of get this awareness of is that God has such respect for these creation that he's made and the creatures that he's made that, that he actually invites us into the story. God doesn't force himself on these people. In fact, what he find, we find out is he actually gives them choice. God gives them choice in what they're going to do in the ongoing caring and creation of this world. And so they have a choice. They can choose life to participate in the ongoing creation of the world, to work towards the harmony and peace that could exist, or they could choose a different path. And what I find fascinating about this story of the origin of man is that the truth behind Adam and Eve, maybe the greatest power of its story, is not the wrestling of whether it happened exactly the way the Bible says, but actually the tension of what happens is still happening today. Here's what I mean with that. We still have a choice in what type of world we're creating. You and I still have a choice in the type of world that we are actively participating in. It's our choice. And we can blame everybody else, and we can blame all of the systems, because it's easy to do that, or we can own up to how we've participated and how we've chosen to do that. So let's start with me and you, okay? So here's what you have to know, okay? You have been a part of every bad decision that you've ever made. Did you know that? You are actively involved in the creation of the mess of your life that you set in. You, you are a part of it. And I say that in joke, but here's why I say that. I've been doing this for 20 years. And I sit in my office every single week with people, and we talk through situations they're going through, and we talk through things. And here's the thing we're really good at. We're good at not identifying our part of the story. We're good at blaming everybody else. And the reason that so many of us are good at blaming somebody else is, let's be honest, we actually believe there's nothing for us to own. It's everybody else's fault. You ever feel like that? It's their fault. The reason we are the way we are is because of our parents. And they just, listen, they just weren't that great, right? You know? At the end of the day, here's what I believe about parents. Everybody's doing the best with what they got. Your parents, are you a parent? Every day I wake up and I'm like, I don't know what we just did. Like, I mean, like we're, we're still figuring this thing out. We're still trying to do it. We won't know for 20 years whether we were good or not, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it, right? So we can blame our parents 
we can blame the fact that they left. We can blame the fact that they had a drinking problem. They were a jerk. They led me to do it. It's my teacher's fault. They had it out for me. Everybody else passed, but it was just you, of course, right? How are we supposed to know the economy was going to tank? How are we supposed to know a worldwide pandemic was going to happen? How are we supposed to know? We can blame everybody else, but do we own the part of the story where we were involved, where we took the choice that we had to make it a better world, to be a part of the active caring and creation and peace and harmony of the world, or did we not take that opportunity and we kind of contributed to the chaos that we find ourselves in? It's so easy to blame. It's so easy for us to ignore our part of the story, not realizing that maybe the most important part of this beginning story is mankind's involvement in the world that's unfolding. Now, because we're human, it's easy to ignore our part of it, which is why I think this writing is so brilliant that we're going to look through today. Now, let me go ahead and say this about this story that we're going to talk through today. If you grew up in church, uh, the Adam and Eve story, you know, is just a part of the origin of mankind. And I know for some of us in this room that that is a hard part of the Bible, that it's hard for us to get our minds around this story. And if you grew up in church, maybe you don't think it's a big deal, but for others of us in this room or watching online or listening to this later, um, the Genesis story becomes a tension point. The creation of this world, Adam and Eve, right? If you went to college like I did and your English or philosophy professor just kind of teaches you that Genesis is just a myth. Um, and what's fascinating, and you need to know this just in case you don't know, um, the creation story we see in the Bible is not that different than all of the early creation stories we see. It's really not. There, there's a lot of them that kind of run in the same stream, whether it comes out of Mesopotamia or out of Egypt or out of Babylon. There are very similar stories about the creation of the world because they all want to try to explain how it happened. So some great questions is, was there literally a garden? Was there actually trees? Were Adam and Eve really two people or do they just represent something else? And how old is the earth, by the way, right? Great questions and we're not going to answer any of them today, Okay. <laughs> Because here's why. Here's why we're not going to do it. Listen, I have opinions and thoughts on those. If you took my What is the Bible class and is it going to be available again in January, you have the opportunity to discuss those things. But here's what I want to ask. Don't let those things distract you from the actual point of the story. We believe there's so much more going on. And I do have questions and perspectives and thoughts about all that we see. And regardless, listen, regardless if you just view the Bible as just ancient literature when you see what we're going to talk about today, it becomes so fascinating. So fascinating that I think you should read everything that these people wrote. Because it's such an insight into who we are and the ongoing tension that we still feel. So here's how it starts. In Genesis chapter 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when God creates everything the way it's supposed to be, there was one simple request. That's it. God basically says to man, you have access. In fact, he actually says, all of this was created for you. It was given to you. It's a part of the world that he's gifting us to see what we'll do with it. But there's one request. The Lord God placed, verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, 
you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. It's all yours, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, an important note about this story that we often forget about is we focus on this one tree, not realizing, as we see in the story, there's actually two trees. There's the tree of life that they are free to eat from any time that they want. And then there's this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the Hebrew actually reads in this text we just read. See, a lot of us get confused. We say, well, why did God set them up in this scenario? And then they eat the tree and then they have to, they die. And it just seems like this unfair thing. Here's actually what the Bible says in Hebrew. It says, if you eat of the tree, it will surely kill you. Philosophically, what's being said is, if you eat of this tree and you understand the choice of good and evil, well, let's be honest, most of us tend to tor- tor- towards the evil side of things, the manipulative side of things, the selfish side of things. That choice and the choices that come from that will be your undoing. That's what he's saying. God's not saying, I'm going to kill you. What he's saying is those choices and what comes of this, that is what will kill you. There are volumes of books, in case you didn't know, written about these two truths. And I'm not kidding when I say volumes of books. This week, because I'm a nerd and I was writing this message, I listened to a four and a half hour podcast series about these two trees. And I listened for four and a half hours and I said, I don't understand a single thing they were just talking about, right? But it was insightful and deep, right? That's what we think it has to be deep. I don't understand what they said, but it was deep, all right? So here's the thing. Maybe what we should do is focus on what this is trying to teach us. Every ancient narrative has some type of reference to some type of tree of life. You can study it for yourself. And it's like this source of life, and it's this choice that we have, and the Bible is no different. So here's the thing. So there's this tree of life they can eat from. There's this other tree they're not supposed to eat from, and that's what's told to them. You can have some, you have access to everything you want, but don't do that. And what do we do as humans every single time? We gravitate towards the thing that we're not supposed to have. You have access to all of this beauty and wonder and creativity and just amazing things that we've been given But stay away from this, and this is what we're drawn to, every single one of us in this room. And so how does this all go down? In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, what's fascinating about this line is the serpent, what we would refer to later as going to be the devil. If you listen to our Divinely Uninspired podcast, you hear my, my thoughts on the devil as we think of him. But what's fascinating is this word shrewd. We think of it in negative context, but it can be both. It it can be like a wise thing or it can be like this other thing. And so this wise serpent, um, it's going to tempt them in a way. And, And here's how it tempts. It says this. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? And I think that question right there should be separate from everything else. Because isn't that the question? Isn't that the thing that we wrestle with? Did God really say, did God really say you shouldn't do that? Did God really say that this is the way the world should be? Did God really say that this is what's going to happen? Did God really say? 
And this shrewd serpent is kind of playing on our emotions and our thoughts. Because this is the tension that you and I still to this day wrestle with. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And did you notice the manipulation of the words? Did you notice it? Did God ever say they couldn't eat from the trees in the garden? No. He said you can't eat from one tree. Of course, verse 2, we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman said. It's only the fruit from the trees in the middle. Now, what's fascinating is this version I use said trees. The actual Hebrew says trees, which means that she believes that they're not allowed to eat from the trees in the middle. Now, here's the question. Were they allowed to eat from the trees in the middle? Yes, just not both of them. You can't eat from the tree. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, if you've ever studied this text before, you know there's a trick that just happened. Did God say what she just said? No. God said you can't eat it. He never said you can't touch it. Now, here's why this is an important insight. Okay, and why this is actually a big deal. Imagine this. Imagine this, that you're there and you're standing there and here's the fruit and it's hanging and it looks good and it looks tempting. I don't know why we always make it an apple, but it probably wasn't. But anyway, I didn't know there was a tree. Remember, philosophical. So, um, so there's the fruit and it's right there. And imagine this, that you reach out as Eve and you touch it and nothing happens. You've convinced yourself that God said you can't eat or touch it. And so you reach out and you touch it and nothing happens. Isn't that the way that deception happens? That, that what happens is you, you, you at first, like, you, you, there's this thing you've been told you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to be involved in this. You're not supposed to do this. And then you do it or you get around it and nothing happens. And it seems okay until it's not. Because what happens so many times is you, you, you grab this thing and nothing happens and you thought in your mind that something was going to happen when you did this. You ever like done something wrong and like as a kid especially, okay? I'm not going to get into what I did. But I did something when I was a kid. And in my mind, I'm like, the cops are going to come get me. You know what I'm saying? You ever had that? Like you did something, the cops are going to come get me. More than likely, the cops weren't even going to care about what I did. But in my mind, I'm convincing myself. And so nothing happens. It's always a sin. It's the consequence of sin that's the problem. And so this isn't even true. Like she's already deceived herself. And, and so they, they break this one rule. And the Bible tells us in, in no certain terms that eventually sin enters the world. Now, I know that for a lot of people, you don't like the word sin, right? Um, I, I know that it's a hard word and because it's been misused so many times. But the word sin, all it means in the Greek is it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark, okay? So it's an archery term that is an archer. They, they draw back, and they were trying to hit a mark, a target. And all sin is is they miss it. Now, let's be honest. If there is a holy, perfect God, and he has a plan and idea for your life, can we all just admit we've probably missed the mark somewhere? Now, let me say it this way. Let's say you don't even believe in the God thing. You don't believe in the sin thing. Okay, let's be honest. Take out the God factor. There's a mark that you think your life should look like, 
and you've missed your own target, right? Right, for example, how many of you guys work out five days a week like you thought you would, right? Okay, anybody? Beginning of the year is coming. Everybody's going to get a gym membership and cancel in February, right? Okay. <laughs> how many of you guys eat things that you told yourself you wouldn't eat anymore, right? I told myself I need to stop eating pizza. Do you know what I had three times yesterday? It's a true story. I had three slices of pizza on the time I told myself to stop eating so much pizza. We don't even follow our own things, right? You say things to people that you tell yourself you're not going to say. You get yourself involved in situations you told yourself you weren't going to be involved in. So listen, you can call it whatever you want, but sin is missing the mark of what your life should look like. And so if there's a God factor, then that's it. But you can't even keep your own target. And so sin enters the world, which is missing the idea and the perfect harmony that existed, that could have been, is gone. And so here's what the serpent says, because she hasn't taken a bite yet. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And here's the temptation. And you will be like God. The temptation for us to this day is to want to be like God. And sometimes we make it sound good, but at the end of the day, what it really means is we want control. We, we want control of everything. We want to know everything. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. What's fascinating about that line is this. So when you study the story, what you find is in Genesis chapter 2 is when God tells Adam that he can't eat of the fruit. Now, if you're following the narrative, at this point, Eve isn't even a part of the picture. See, what happens is it's so easy for us guys to blame the woman, isn't it? It was her fault. Adam is the one that has the knowledge, and he says nothing. And so they take the fruit, and she, Eve takes a bite, and then Adam takes a bite. And I wasn't there, and I don't even know if this literally happened or if it's a figurative thing for some philosophical thing, but what the Bible tells us is after they eat, imagine this, they touch it, nothing happens. Put it to their mouth, nothing happens. After they eat, verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. For the first time, they're filled with shame because they realize who they are. They're exposed, and they're standing there. And that's what sin does. It exposes us for who we really are sometimes. In verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Uh-oh. In the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You ever watch like old movies where like they have a big party, and then they see their parents pulling down the street, and they try to clean up real quick? That's what this like scene is for me. Like, all right, so they're like trying real quick to like get everything together. So they can't. So they go, and they hide. And I think this is fascinating, because I think this is what you and I do. We hide. When we mess up, we don't want to own up to what we've done, and so we choose to hide. And often when we hide, we run to dumb places, don't we? Right? They go and they hide in the garden that God created. 
It's probably not a good plan, all right? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah. I think we misunderstand the whole point of the story of Jonah. But what's fascinating to me is Jonah wants to run away from God. And so he gets in a boat and goes into the ocean. Um, if I'm running from God, the last place I'm going is a boat in the ocean uh, because there's the ocean and then there's things in the ocean that want to eat you. And it's just not a good place. But this is where we run. We run to stupid places because we feel guilty and we feel shameful. And here's what I think is fascinating about us as humans and why we do this. And this is the whole point maybe of this story. Do you think Adam and Eve were sorry they did it? Or do you think they were sorry because they're about to get caught? And isn't that the tension? That still to this day, I would argue that most of us in this room, we're not guilty we do it. We fear the getting caught. And so the Lord God called the man in verse 9, where are you? And here's the thing. We, we don't fully understand what God is or who God is in his full nature because we're finite things trying to understand an infinite principle. But I don't think this is a location question. I think God knew exactly where they were. I think it's a heart question. And I think it's the question that you and I are still being asked to this day. So Adam answers because he can't hide anymore. God knows where he's at. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Now, I think this is an important insight that we often miss about the story, and we're going to dive into it more later, but Adam and Eve, I mean, let's be honest, they just messed it up for all of us, right? I mean, this has got to be like the lowest of the low. This has got to be like the original feeling of shame. Like, you ever have shame, but like the older you get, you feel less shameful because you're just kind of used to it? Imagine this moment, shame for the first time. And what's fascinating is even though they've messed up, God is still looking for them. God is still pursuing them. In verse 11, it says this. God says to him, who told you that you were naked? Now, this question to me is another one of those questions. This is, this is the brilliance of this, this teaching, this writing that we're given. Because there is the question. Who told you that? You ever hear people say stuff and your first response is, who told you that, right? Who told you that? See, we think we live in the age of misinformation. That's not a new thing. That's ancient. One of the first questions is, who told you that? Because that's completely wrong. Who, who told you that God was like that? Who told you that's what God thought about you? Who told you that's what God thought about this world? And so Adam has to have a response to this question. Who told you that? Here's his response. Ready? The man said, yes, I did it. And I take full responsibility for my actions. Do as me with you will, but it's no one else's fault. Now, a few of you are laughing because you, you've read your Bible. The rest of you, um, this should be his response. But this is not. This is why I believe the Bible actually might be true because um, this is how I would respond. Ready? The woman, ready? Verse 12. The woman that you put here, right, that, sometimes I say, that woman that you gave me, that woman did this. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. In other words, what he's saying is, God, this is really your fault, because you gave me that woman, and she did all of this. 
Now, <clears throat> that's actually true. It's true. It's just not the whole truth, is it? And isn't that what we do? It's Adam ducking his responsibility of the story. Because Adam, Eve did give him the fruit. And she did take the first bite. And then she did hand it to him. But he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to chew it up. He didn't have to swallow it. And so Adam blames Eve because that's what we do. We just blame people for the world that we live in, the problems of the world. Blame somebody else. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It's true. It's just not the whole truth. Nobody made her eat it. He, he, he played, listen, this is what he did. He played upon what she already wanted. What did she say? I want the knowledge that God has. I want to be like him. She, he, he played on that. It didn't take much. And here's where I think we're at as people. We think the mess that we live in is a new problem. It's not. It's an old one. And part of the problem is us because we've been invited into a story where we have a choice in the type of world that we're creating. But rather than own up to our part of the story, we blame others. Here's the thing. This story is not over for Adam and Eve. It's a terrible moment, but it's not over. If you want a better future for yourself, listen, you can't blame your way into a better future. Did you know that? Blame enables you to smuggle your issues into your future. Blame enables you to smuggle your dysfunction. Can I just go ahead and tell you this? And I say it in a lot of different ways. We are all dysfunctional, right? Like every single one of us. I don't care who you are. You got some messed up stuff, right? Every single person I've ever met, including me. So it allows you to smuggle in your dysfunction, your bad habits, your poor relationship skills, your bad judgment of character, your irresponsible financial decisions, your unresolved issues into the future. Listen, you are a part of every bad choice that you've ever made. Now, is it all your fault? Probably not, but you own part of it. And part of the truth, and this is what I think, part of why I love this story is, did you notice Adam and Eve from the very beginning, mankind, rather than owning up to what they've done, what do they do? We just blame. We blame somebody else. If you want to make peace with your past, you must own a piece of your past. And I'm telling you, for some of you, that's painful to own your story. It's embarrassing. It's emotional. It's difficult. But when you own your story, you'll gain clarity into who you were, what you've done, but also clarity into the future. Now, what I love about this story is it's still going on today. This was just the first time it happened. But what I also love about this story is it's not how the story ends. And one of the things that, that maybe you've never read or you never paid attention to in this story what was that Adam and Eve, I mean, they mess it up. I mean, they mess it up for everybody. And it's a real cluster, right? I mean, it's just going to be 
I mean, if you study this story and what happens next and just the rest of Genesis, but even goes into the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament and throughout human history, I mean, it's just a mess. And what's fascinating is they're standing there in their nakedness and their shame, and they've just screwed it up for everybody. And we want to blame them, but come on, somebody else would have done it if they hadn't, right? You would have. I know I would have. And the very first thing that God does after they've messed it up. In Genesis chapter 3, 21, they're standing there in their shame. The Lord God made, catch that? He made for them garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. In their lowest point, God's first response is to give to them because the story isn't over for them and it's not over for us. The very first response to an act of rebellion, and there will be more consequences, but the very first act of response from God is to offer them mercy. And what I love about this story is maybe this story, although it's about us, actually has more to do with the character of God. But we may be getting ahead of ourselves in the story because we got a whole lot more to cover. So, so far, there's a tree and a temptation and a tragedy. But something else is going to happen but we don't have time to talk about it today. So if you want to know what happens next, you'll just have to come back next week. Let's pray.